It's Law Talk with BJ, the podcast where trial attorney and legal commentator BJ Bernstein and her guests discuss the latest issues from around the legal world. BJ is a frequent commentator on television and radio. She's unique in that she not only comments on legal issues, having been lead counsel on numerous high-profile cases of national interest, but her relatable personal style allows the viewer to understand the law behind the headlines and why it's important. Now, here's your host, B.J. Bernstein. Welcome to Law Talk with B.J. And to start off the new year, I am going to do things a little different. I am going to start with myself as the guest. Yes. (laughs) I'll continue to interview folks about law, and I'll still have my cup of tea with every episode. But interviews don't always accomplish what I want for you and that is legal literacy. In a world where ignorance of the law is no excuse, we don't teach that much of it in school or college or beyond. We pick up things from reading or listening to news coverage or anecdotal information from friends or family who've had a legal experience, whether that was a divorce, they had a car accident which led to a lawsuit, they had a contract dispute, a death in the family, so there were issues with the will and litigation that followed, to, of course, then an arrest at times for folks. We pick up some things from those stories that they tell us, but a story of a friend of a friend are not always accurate, and the stakes are very high from financial ruin, reputation ruin, or incarceration when things such as law legal issues pop up. Same thing goes with breaking news in the media. All of a sudden, every anchor, commentator, they're an expert. Or they realize they're not, and so they bring in a talking head. And uh, that's right. That's me included. I've been on pretty much most platforms. It's all the same. You try and explain in about a minute what you need to know. Print media may go a little more in depth, but again, it's the journalist and not a lawyer, and they may not know all the questions to ask. Sometimes you supply additional information and it makes it to print, other times it doesn't. Certainly, it's a good place to start, perhaps, to keep in touch with the news and understand what's happening, but you do need to know more. So this is my way of trying to contribute to your legal education and your legal literacy. So here we go. I am starting with an involvement in the law that anyone that is a citizen and not a convicted felon may be called to do, and that is to serve on a jury. I personally remain in awe of the jury system, but realize at times it has shortcomings. And yet, To me, knowing that each of us could be called and provide our insight, our judgment in a collective group that is a mix of gender and race and education and job and life experience to try to come up with an answer rather than one professional, one supposedly all-knowing judge is a remarkable creation in our democracy. Other than the vote or serve in the military, I really can't think of any more sacred duty we're required to potentially perform as citizens of our country, of this great United States of America. And yet it's something that many of us try to avoid or initially complain about because 
Well, I get it. (laughs) We had busy lives, obligations, financial and family burdens, and time is a very precious commodity. But I have found in trying many, many cases that once a jury starts its work, there is this strong sense of realization of how important it is and how we do the American way and pull up our bootstraps and do the work of listening and then ultimately deliberating. I realize, though, the shock when you receive that summons in the mail. And yes, friends and neighbors, y'all are going to know who you are. (laughs) Y'all have called me and say, oh my gosh, I can't do it. I don't have the time. I can't afford it. I work. I have kids. I have to pick them up after school. Daycare issues. My boss won't let me do this. They're never going to understand with our teen project. The list goes on and on and on. There's panic. I don't know anything about the law. Now, I'm going to say to you, yes, all those things are true. It is a sacrifice. But hear me out on all this. And so that you maybe don't have that panic reaction when you get your jury summons. I am fortunate because I have tried both civil and criminal cases and chosen juries. And we'll talk further more about what choosing really entails. But I have had a unique experience. And that was fresh out of law school over 31 years ago. The first jury trial I ever saw start to finish after graduating law school was a criminal felony trial in Fulton County, Georgia, Atlanta, for drug trafficking. And I was the foreman of that jury at the age of, I was about 23, maybe I'd just turned 24. I was the youngest on the jury, and yet because I had passed the bar exam, it seemed natural for my fellow jurors to have me as the foreman, despite me sitting there saying, wait a minute, I just got out of school, I've never seen a trial And of course, everybody said, yes, but you have a law degree. So I, the youngest becomes the foreman. So I've had that experience. So you receive the subpoena in the mail. And after the shock, you got to remember the following. First, read the subpoena. It will say certain things in your jurisdiction. And let me just add, every state has a few different rules. So you're going to need to read the subpoena for the court that you receive. And it may indicate that if you're over a certain age or you're a single parent with a child under a certain age, usually that's around five, with child care issues, or you're personally suffering for a serious illness, you should let the jury office know in advance at the number provided on the subpoena, and that may even save you a trip going down there. If you have already booked a vacation or flight, again, if you can provide to the jury office proof that prior to the jury service, you had already booked this vacation, no, you cannot get the subpoena and then quickly get online and and book it. It needs to be beforehand. Uh, You bring that proof or call in advance give it to the jury office, or at least certainly show up and bring the proof with you. Without the prepaid vacation or other issues, the judges may not excuse you. That's why you need to plan. If you're a doctor or someone else with an important position, unless you have paperwork backing it up and just saying no one else can handle a particular surgery or a problem, that may not work. 
in terms of what a judge will determine is an excuse and excusing you from a jury. If you are in college and in school in another state, again, same thing. You need to contact the court in advance of the date and work with them to change the dates of service to a date when you are back in the state. Sometimes they are willing to do that. But waiting and calling the day before or calling that same day is a problem. That could mean eventually that you are held in contempt of court for not showing up. Contempt of court can come with a fine and in some instances a jail visit. So this is my reminder. Read and don't wait to the last minute to deal with the fact that you've gotten that subpoena. And know that uh, more times than not, you are going to that courthouse on that date that they have sent. Unless when you read the subpoena, and again, many places send out a lot of subpoenas, especially in larger cities. For instance, in Atlanta, Fulton County, where I served as a juror in the county that I live in, there can be 5, 10, 12 jury trials going on because it's a large courthouse with many courtrooms. And so there can be that many juries being picked that week. But the exact need isn't known until the day of. So there is usually a phone number and a notation that they give you on the subpoena saying that you're in a particular group. And then you call into that number on the day that it says to tell you on the subpoena, and it will tell you to report or not to report. Sometimes they give you a designation that you're on call. I say this because I love my friends and my neighbors, but more than one of them have called me in a complete panic on a weekend. They get the subpoena, they see the date, and they call me instead of reading the subpoena and calling the phone number that's given them. And then when we call the phone number, it turns out they didn't have to report or the other way around, it can be that they have to report. Again, the night before is not the day time you can do any much of anything. There's no one to answer or respond. You need to get the information in in advance or bring something with you when you will report. Because again, if you fail to report, there's going to likely be a warrant for you or a very nasty letter potentially holding you in contempt. Again, every jurisdiction is different, state to state or federal court, but most, for the most part, they have some of the same things. So like every podcast, one more time, I want to remind you, know, to know more, you have to dig into your state's practice. But if it's a jury trial, there is a process of selection, whether the judge is asking the questions with input the lawyers before you arrive in the courtroom, or the lawyers for each side is asking questions. And you all take an oath prior to answering those questions that you will tell the truth. Failure to do so, again, that word contempt, I keep using it. You could be held in contempt. And that and the seriousness of a courtroom and the proceedings tends to diminish the bravado ahead of jury selection that some folks may feel that they're going to tell the judge they can't do it for a number of reasons and and maybe exaggerate. But I find when you get to a courtroom, it is a very imposing place, and people usually stop, listen. The process starts, and they realize it is not TV. 
there is a real person's potentially freedom at issue if it's a criminal case or something very important civilly, whether it's divorce. Um, there are a limited number of jurisdictions that have um, jury trials for certain parts of divorce proceedings, personal injury, contract disputes, all the things that you could endure and realize deep down that you may be in court as a litigant or a defendant or a plaintiff. Um, and at that moment, it kind of hits, oh, I better take this seriously. Know that if you're brought into the jury room to wait to be brought to a courtroom and they never bring you in there, you have served jury duty. And you're like, wait a minute, I didn't do anything. Because I see it all the time. I go to the courthouse and like 40 people are lined up in the hall waiting to go in and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and that's because certain things magically happen to people when it's close to seeing the whites of their eyes to know like, wow, wait a minute, this could be a trial. Do I really want a trial? Sometimes in criminal trials or in civil cases too, not until the day of trial with the parties knowing that there's a group of people going to walk in and try the case, will that reality hit and both sides actually get the case resolved with a plea or a settlement. Sometimes the negotiations change that morning, perhaps, because there's a missing witness or there was new information as each side was getting ready for trial and they show up that morning and they start talking again. Whatever it is, sometimes your being there most times would be part of the reason why that case got resolved. So you may have served without having to go through that process of um, going through jury selection, but already missing work. Now, sometimes they just send you back downstairs or wherever the jury room is, and they put you out for another one or in other jurisdictions, you know, that, that may be it. So let's talk about what happens when they decide to bring you into the courtroom. From the jury room, you're brought in the courtroom for questioning. That is called voir dire, literally meaning speaking the truth. And I promise you, it is vital that you speak the truth. You don't know what they're looking for or miraculously who they are eliminating and what you think will get you off could put you on all because you did not speak the truth. Now, that said, there are some people who think they know a guaranteed answer that will exclude them. I hear it all the time. Someone says, I know why you picked me, or I know I was struck from the jury, but the truth is more likely you don't know. Why? For one thing, it's pretty much a deselection process. I'm, I'm busting your bubble about how important you are or what you had to say a little bit. Whoever is on the jury is who is left, meaning each side has a certain number of strikes, depending on the size of the jury, whether it's a six-person jury or a 12-person jury, um, and the type of case determines that. And again, certain states have different rules with regard to the number of jurors. After that questioning period known as voir dire, each side has a certain number of strikes against anyone who's left that the judge determined needs to be stricken. Um, sometimes that the judge will remove as we're going along, 
best example of that is if someone is friends with one of the witnesses or a business partner of a party in the case, someone who has a financial interest in the case or they heard about the case and have pre-decided it, those are the kind of things that can prevent them from being a fair and impartial juror. And those people, the judge, sometimes decide on their own or at the request of the lawyers to go ahead and remove that person from the jury selection process. The judge usually tells those people just to go back to the jury room and possibly go serve on another case. Other times, again, they may be eliminated and may be done with their trial week. Then it's, as I said, who is left? The state or the plaintiff in a civil case has a certain number of strikes, and the defendant has so many strikes, and they go back and forth silently using the clerk with a piece of paper, and each side goes one by one in the order that the court has you listed, and that you've been brought in to sit into the courtroom with the first party marking the paper except a reject. It's handed over to the second party to see what's been done. And if both sides accept, then you have a juror. Or if both sides, one or the other, has rejected, that person's going to be knocked off. This goes on until you have the number of jurors that is desired in that particular jurisdiction. Plus, most of the times, there is alternates that are selected. And the reason for that, particularly in longer, more serious cases, is you put a lot of time and energy into trying the case, and things can happen. Unfortunately, there can be injury or even death of a juror or death of a family member of a juror, and it makes them unavailable. And rather than redoing the entire case, the court has someone who can step in. Now, you usually don't know that you're an alternate juror. They do that intentionally because they want everybody to pay attention to all the evidence. But um, sometimes they are very much needed, again, especially with these really long cases. And the longest one I tried was seven weeks, and we eventually had to use a alternate during that time period. Something had happened. The Finally, after the back and forth, then... It is announced we're going in the order that you presented to the court and the jury is seated. I say all this because you really don't know why you're dismissed when you are not selected. I, I smile every time when someone says to me, I know why you picked me or why I wasn't let go. Um for instance, someone could say, I'm a banker, and since it was a financial case, I was never going to be picked. But it actually could have just been a numbers game. It just may have been the facts of the case were far more important than your job and that another juror answered the questions in such a way that one side thought you could be prejudiced or not, whether they're worried. And this is why I tell you the worst thing you can do is intentionally try to skew your answers to get off the jury. Judges are there all the time. They have heard it all. And when someone tries to make a sh very strong, strident, outrageous comment or answer or a belligerent answer indicating that they just don't want to be there, well, that can go the wrong way for them. And the best example of that is I was on trial one time. It was a criminal case. It was a sex offense. And there was a woman there who went out of her way for many reasons. It's been a while, so I can't tell you exactly, but... 
she made it very clear she did not want to be on that jury. She kept saying over and over she could not be fair and impartial, that she was argumentative and strident about why she couldn't serve. I mean, for everything that she could think of throwing in there, like the kitchen sink to get off this trial, she was going to do it. Well, it became so obvious that it was going to be problematic for her to be a juror, but it was also obvious that she was trying to manipulate her answers. The judge decided she wouldn't be on the jury but that she was held in contempt of court and her punishment was sitting in the back and watching the entire trial. She cried, she wept, which made it worse because the more she did it, the more days. She didn't actually end up having to watch the whole thing, but I think she was there maybe two or three days. So a reminder of the power of the court. You will not know more than the court And trying to shirk what is your responsibility as a citizen is not going to work. Um, Another example that I'll give you where someone was belligerent or upset about being picked, but then realized the importance. And, and, And I'll tell you this, nobody's really happy when you're picked, but time and time and again, 99% of the people, when they finish the jury experience, they appreciate how important it is and how they could need it. The best example was I was trying a case and uh, this young man um, was on the jury or the potential jurors were asking questions and he answered them all in such a way that didn't give me pause. Um, seemed like he could be fair. I'd say he in his early 20s. Um, I had a client that I just knew in my heart was innocent, and we needed a really fair jury. So, again, we'll talk about strikes in a minute, but I did not use a strike on him. And he was seated on the jury. So right as he's walking out of the courtroom because we're taking a break and they're taking him into another room. He walks right beside me and literally under his breath, he said to me, this is total bull expletive (laughs) and looked right at me. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've done this. I have made the worst mistake. This guy is just going to, he's going to screw my client over. He's angry. He's young. What was I thinking? And but I had to let it go and try the case. So we tried the case over the next few days. And my client was, in fact, acquitted. And when I walked outside, the jurors a lot of times wait around and are allowed to talk to the lawyers. And he just looked at me and I saw him and I said, I I know you were upset. But he goes, stop, stop. Don't say anything. I just want you to know that I was a jerk. And I now know why I was there to be on that jury. And that was to save your client. It was a profound experience for him and for me that how reminder that no matter how much you have that you're missing when you were in the moment and when you hear what's happening in a courtroom, you realize how important it is. Sometimes in cases you hear about a hung jury. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that and what that means. That means that in a criminal case, a verdict must be unanimous and all the jurors cannot um, reach a verdict. And so the jurors may say they're hung. And let me say again, the court doesn't accept that on the first round usually. 
they usually go back and encourage and get something what's called a dynamite charge, which kind of re- outlines for the jury that really you've heard everything that you can hear. You can't think somebody else is going to decide it. We need you to decide it. And that, and that usually works to get folks to make a decision. Now, the next thing I want to say to you is this, how detailed the questions are when you are sitting there. And that sometimes can take you aback. They're asking about your work background, your personal history, your experiences socially. Everything is up for grabs that could be relevant. Social media questions about how you participate on social media, what you're doing. Sometimes the lawyers even take the list quickly and try to find your profile on social media to see what you've said, if there's time, or if you get the list in advance. But so you are telling in a large public group with someone transcribing a lot about yourself. Now, there are times and there are subject matters that, and it's up to the judge, that the judge may give you an opportunity to actually respond privately with the judge and the lawyers. And I see that most often in examples of cases of where we're dealing with sexual issues, whether it's rape, child molestation, or civil cases around those topics. Because you are asked questions in every case where you're ever a victim of a crime or you are an immediate family member of or convicted of a crime and in particular, sexual offenses. That's very jif- jarring and difficult. So to accommodate the privacy, they they do will allow you to be able to say it in a more private setting, but they do want you to talk about it and answer questions about it. And the reason is not to embarrass you or cause you angst, and it has been emotional for some jurors to go through that, but the reason is that if it's an issue in the case that could affect the impartiality, we need to know it so that we have a fair and impartial juror. And I have literally been in awe of people who I have watched them and I realize and the court realizes they tell something they've never told their spouse or their family members, but they understand they're under oath and they tell it and they know that it's important. And it brings up a lot for them. They they can literally... I don't see them afterwards, but I know it brought up a lot of difficulty for them. But their honesty and their strength understands that you have to be fair. You have to expose what could be a bias. Hiding something that can can skew your judgment is not giving the right to the parties to determine if you can be fair. When this happens, it's done in private again, usually. The other jurors aren't present. But it is something that I'm grateful when jurors are that candid and it is necessary and part of your duty. Once you're selected and sworn in on that jury, there's going to be some basic instructions that are given to you. Most importantly is to stay away from any discussion about the case. Stay away from media, including social media, because you never know when a case will be in the news. Now, courts have shied away from from sequestering juries. There used to be a lot more of that, but it's very expensive. The jurors don't necessarily do their best work when they're away from home in some hotel room for a week or two weeks or three weeks. So instead, by you really following your oath and really making sure that 
you are staying away from the media, and I think most people do, and staying away from social media, um, you can go home at night, just not turn on the news, not turn on the radio, and certainly don't talk about it with your spouse. You may think no one will find out, but I, it is very strange, but it pops up where somebody inadvertently in the jury room tells somebody else, oh, I, I looked up something last night. They forget the rules because when you're given that list, I realize you've never been through jury service most of the time, and it's a lot being thrown at you. And one of the jurors will know and tell the judge, and you'll see that on the news a lot where deliberations change because there's been some violations by one of the jurors, and that's why we have the substitute jurors. In terms of the length of a trial, you know, again, it depends on the case. My personal longest was seven weeks on trial. In terms of deliberations, same thing. It's like tea leaves that you can't predict. I've had a great result in 30 minutes. I've had a horrible result in maybe 45 minutes. Um, I think the longest one I had was, I want to say, 27 hours, something like that. And then from that, everybody's always trying to say, can you figure out what's going on, especially your client at that point? But you can't tell what's happening because you don't know if it's one person who's having trouble or many people are having trouble. And then the questions start coming out. The judge reads the questions and we're all trying reading in things from the questions. But that doesn't work because, again, you don't know if it's just a question that one person needed to hear something or several. So, again, it's great for punditry and maybe to fill up some time on television or on the radio talking about it, but you can't really tell. You never know when you will need fairness. I want you to remember that. It could be you in the courtroom having something decided about you and a loved one. And so when you get that notice in the mail and when you get to the courthouse, I want you to be fully present I want you to listen and decide fairly. Sometimes the people involved may not think that you, what you did was fair or not fair, but if you know you follow the rules, um, you will have done a great service. It's like I said, there, there are not many things that, you know, unless you serve in the military, and that's certainly a sacrifice, there are not many things that we have to do like we do with jury service. Last few little things, basics, when you get to the courthouse where you're going to bring your lunch. Courthouses don't have a cafeteria always or food nearby. And without food, we get ornery and it's an ugly long day. Bring a book, but a paper one. There are a lot of rules now about going into courthouses and bringing in electronic devices. Most don't let you do so unless you have a pass from the court, which is more for the lawyers and judges and staff to bring in electronic devices. Usually you can't bring your phone in. They don't want you to do any extra research or be dis are distracted by those devices during trial. And the last thing, do not do your own research. Have patience. I hope that when you serve or you get called to serve, it's a great experience for you and knowing that you made a difference. So as I wrap up this first of many, hopefully down the road, and I'm still going to have guests on Law Talk, but I still 
um, want to take some extra time so that you understand the law. Again, ignorance of the law, no excuse. And listeners of Law Talk with BJ, hopefully this next year, will feel more legally educated. And as with every episode, I am enjoying a cup of tea as we as I talk, <laughs> you caught me here. Today's tea is Chowa tea. It is from Japan. It was for centuries in Japan, the only the direct descendants of the tiger shogun were given access to this particular type of tea called Chowa, called Chowa. Chowa is indicative of harmony is strength. And that's kind of how I feel about a jury. Disparate people from all walks of life, from all different ways, come together in harmony to make a decision. And that decision provides strength for our country, strength for us as a democracy, and taking care of our obligations. So thank you again for listening to this episode of Law Talk with BJ. 2019 is going to be a great year for all of us. And just a reminder quickly on Law Talk with BJ, you can listen on the website lawtalkwithbj.com, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on YouTube. It's on Podbean. Please take a listen. Please share it with friends, um, young people. I want us all to have legal literacy And 2018 was a great year for the podcast. Let's bust it out more so that all of us can um, have a fair and just new year. Thanks. This podcast is not to be construed as legal advice. With any legal issue, you should reach out to a professional attorney that practices law in the state and area of law for which you need information or consultation. Law Talk with BJ does not establish an attorney-client relationship, which is only formed when you have hired an attorney and signed an engagement agreement or contract. It's Law Talk with BJ music theme written and produced by Atlanta Audible. This podcast copyright 2018, BJ Bernstein Esquire.